and they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary Jones. And Henderson, oh, what's the goal? Hello and welcome to the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. My name is Dean uh, and I'm not joined by Chaff or Ryan or Luke tonight. I am joined by the chair of the Dale Trust, Cole Cavanagh, um, to talk all things EGM and AGM ahead of tomorrow's uh, big night for the club. Cole, first of all, thanks very much for joining me. Not a problem. Uh, so we'll, we'll kick straight off and get straight into it. Um, First of all, one of the proposals from the Trust was uh, for the removal of David Bottomley uh, from the Board of Directors. Uh, can you talk to us about you know, where, where that proposal has come from and what has led to that decision being made by the Trust? Yeah, it, it, it stems back to the statement that was released by Dan and Envy um, back in early in April. I think it was 12th of April. Um, they put the statement out which, which suggested serious internal issues at the club. Um, now, once they had pulled that had been directors. We asked the club in a number of times. Um, I think it was like Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, asking what is going on. Because the week before, we'd had a very productive meeting down at the club where it was even suggested that Dan could be a future chairman of the football club. Um, so to then find out on Sunday night, whilst I'm cooking my tea, that they weren't going to be on the board anymore, it was just a bit of a we And we, we just try to find the information out um, to let people know. Because... One of the things we've said to the club on an almost constant basis over the last two couple of years is if you don't tell people, you just create a void. And people will fill that void with a, they'll come up with their own theories. So it's far better to just come out and say what the situation is. Um, but we spoke to a number of times trying to find this information out. And we reached a stage where this was the Monday or the Tuesday before the fans formed. And we said, look, um, we were the opinion there needs to be a statement now from the club stating what the situation is. Um, and all we got back was it, it will be covered at the at the fans' forum. Um, now, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't find myself much the wiser after that fans' forum with regard to the reason why they weren't taking up the directorships. So, so when their statement came out, alleging serious internal issues at the club, it was, um, it was just like, we need to do something. Um, and we didn't want to find ourselves in a position where we're, we're going to the club over and over and over again, trying to find out what, what the state of play is. I think we tried that and we didn't get anywhere with that. So it was it was almost put plan B into into operation and we felt we had no need but to call for the EGM. Now, when we called for the EGM, we were very clear about how we how we wanted to do it. We didn't we didn't want to kick off because we didn't want to and I think I'd like to think that we've maintained a position of neutrality in, in all of this. Uh, we've certainly not led anybody to vote a particular way. And even to the extent where we, we're not announcing the results of our ballot until the AGM's in place, until after the AGM, simply because we want, we want this neutrality. We don't want to be in a position where we have influenced anybody's vote on this. Now, you could, you could easily turn around and say, well, that's wrong, Matt. You need to be guiding the support. And, and, and fair enough, I'll, I'll accept that 100%. Um, but we, we wanted everyone to have a fair, a fair vote on that because I'm quite... I'm quite Certainly, if we'd have said to me, right, we want you all to vote this way, the vast majority of people would have voted that way, um, which would have made the vote a little bit invalid for me. So our original proposals when we spoke to the club was 
we want an EGM where we could discuss the three matters. The first matter being the the serious internal issues that have been alleged by Dan and Emery, um, and we felt that an EGM was the appropriate platform for that to be discussed. The second thing was the debacle over BBM's contract, uh, which, again, we now believe was signed in November, um, and we found ourselves finding out in, in late March when the fans form. And, and again, it, that's not normal practice. And we're not talking a lack of communication on this part. We are talking information was being withheld. Um, so again, we felt the appropriate platform was an EGM where these questions could be put towards the board um, and they could, they could answer it in the best way that they could. And then the third one was, we know Andrew Kelly was down at the club as an interim chairman with no intentions whatsoever of staying long-term as he'd made that clear to us. So we, we, we wanted to find out what the next steps would be. Now, again, we, we were very clear. We didn't want this to be a big kickoff, and we were very clear with our wording. Now, when we first approached the club with details of what our proposals would be, we suggested we wanted all four directors to be put up for re-election because I think each year the club have to put up a third of their board members up for re-election. So we thought, well, we, all this needs discussing, so we'd have an appropriate platform to do it where all this could be brought into the... Um, into the domain of the shareholders, and based upon the answers that people were getting, they could either vote a bit like the old Roman days of yay or nay, depending on the answers that we, they were given on the night. Um, and, and this was rejected, and, and it was fair, fair enough what we got from the club. The, the original rejection was down to the wording we came up with. They said that we wanted all four directors up for re-election in line with the club's rotation policy. Um, well, putting all four wasn't in line with the club's rotation policy. so. We were like, oh, well, we, we, let's, let's resubmit it and let's take that line out of there. Now, the second rejection was based upon two things. Um, one of them was, well, we could find ourselves in a situation here where we have got no directors and the club cannot afford to be put in a place where that is a, that is a state of play. Um, and also our wording of putting up for re-election, which wasn't questioned with the second rejection, it was suggested by the club's legal team, I hasten to add, that it should be worded as the removal of the directors. Now, we were keen. We were keen to make sure we weren't going down the route of saying, oh, this is a no-confidence call in the board. Uh, we want these people removed. But we, we were left in that position where that was the one thing we could do. So we took a position. We knew Andrew Kelly would, was planning on leaving anyway. Um, and we said, well, and we had to reduce it down to two directors. So we took the decision to put David Bottomley and Graham Mollinson as the two directors who were up there. Um, historically, our dealings with Tony Potney have always been great. Um, but there were, I think certainly with the other two, there's been enough questions in the public domain from supporters about their, their role at the club. Um, and I think if we were, certainly in David Bottomley's case, as, as the, I know we are addressing this as his position as a director, um, but as a main executive at the football club, um, would be skirting around the issue if we didn't name him on our proposals. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing there is, until fairly recently, it seemed that the trust and the club had quite a strong relationship uh, with the signing of the MOU and things like that. Um, was the statement from Dan and Emery when they decided to pull out, was that a turning point for you or, or had things already kind of started to sour before that? Um, I, think, I think what you said is, is, is absolutely bang on. Um, 
much of the stick I've had for it over the past couple of years. I've probably been the biggest defender of David Bottom at this football club. Um, and as I've said, to, I can only see, on what, see what's in front of me. Um, we did have a decent working relationship, but the concern, it wasn't so much Dan and Emery pulling out um, because that would suggest we're siding with them almost. It was more the lack of contact we were getting from the football club when chasing this up. We sent a, I think we sent a newsletter out on that Monday morning after Dan and Emery had um, had the, the world's shortest directorship. Um, and we said, look, we're speaking to the club later on today. Once we know more, we, we will update our members. Because that's all we're ever after, is, is, is updating our members. We weren't after speaking to the club to say, right, tell us what it is. We just, just let us know what the state of play is about them, them not taking up the directorships after three days early on the Friday, everything seeming very, very smooth. It, ju it just didn't add up. And as I said, it, it appeared we were just hitting an absolute brick wall over and over and over again. Um, and when they said to us, we'll clear things up at the, at the fans forum, well, it, it wasn't cleared up at all. Um, what, would, what would be the, the process if those two were to uh, be removed from the board? What would be the process in terms of replacing them, do you know? In terms of the next step on there, it would be up to the club to replace them as directors. Um, in the club's articles, which is a, a wonderful document from 1910, uh, which you certainly need GCSEs and Latin to, to understand, um, it states in there we must have a minimum of seven directors. Now, we're already operating below that level. Now, we go down the route of where does company law kick in, where does the club's articles kick in, and sometimes it's been suggested that company law will trump the club's articles, and then there's other people saying, well, they're all side by side. Um, as Kieran Maguire often mentions, uh, our silver tongue friends like to um, debate things over and over and over, and there's, there's many, many sides to, this, to the same coin on that one there. But it would be up to the club to propose replacements. Now, we were, we were keen as well with that. It's, we wanted to take it away because, to begin with, as I said, we were looking for the input for re-election. Um, the language of removal is, is a lot more extreme. Um, but again, that's, that's the club's legal advice that they gave to us, that, that, that the wording that we should be using. Um, and we were quite prepared as well because one thing we have been very, very clear about, and it all relates to our friends at Foreverberry. Um, they, they had a high-profile meeting where they were instructed to vote one way. And I said, if, if I get any of this wrong, then I apologise on that. But the, the members said to them, you need to vote in this way. Um, and I think it all came down to the port of cabin um, in the car park that they thought, well, you'll lose that. So they changed their mind on the night to vote with Stuart Day, which I believe gave him access to the SOS shares, which allowed him to take control of the club, which is what was so. So we, we've said right from day one, we will ballot our members and we'll do so from this neutrality. We, we don't want to be telling people how they should be voting um, because I don't think that would be fair. I don't think that would be right. And where the trust our stance will be from that. And we were, we were quite prepared to launch the EGM where we've requested the removal of two directors and then vote in favour of them remaining at the club if our members had told us to do so. Um, so, we, as I said, we made that agreement. It must be the members who dictate the position of the trust in doing that. Um, obviously, it's tough to make kind of predictions ahead of it, but how likely do you think it is that those resolutions tabled by the Trust will be passed? We'll have to wait and see. Um, we've spoke to a number of Trust members. We spoke to some shareholders. Um, quietly confident, I would say. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to be taking anything 
getting ahead of ourselves or anything like that. We'll, we'll, we'll see on the night. And I think, I think it would only be right for us to, to wait and see what the votes are on the night. There, there are obviously some other resolutions um, to be passed uh, or not passed on Tuesday yeah. night. Um, those are from a year ago when they were first tabled. But for those of us that aren't completely up to speed, as I think, I think me and Ryan had a discussion about this the other week and it was quite clear that neither of us are particularly up to speed with the shares issues. So um, those resolutions that the club have proposed themselves, can you explain them maybe in layman's terms um, what they could potentially mean for new investors and, and current shareholders? I can do now they've been explained to me in layman's terms because I didn't understand them at all when I first read them. Um, basically, the first one takes away a limit of the number of shares of new shares that the club can issue. The second one is a proposal where the club would issue, uh, I think it's 700,000 new shares, which would give somebody 58% of the football club. The third one would be, well, we've got these unissued shares, so there wouldn't be new shares. But there was a resolution passed in, I think it was 2010, 2011, which had a five-year limit on it. Now, those shares in the third resolution would give somebody 44% of the football club. And from 44%, it's, it's not a million miles away from getting 50%. And the last one, which we believe will require 75% of people to vote for to get through, is, and this one, I might get a couple of bits wrong on this one here, because it's, um, I've gone with what the legal people have said, is about preemption. Now, if that was removed, that would allow the club to release the new shares to an unknown. I think the ter terms of shareholder meetings and all that is without that fourth resolution, the club would have to offer them to existing shareholders, which would make it very, not impossible, but would make it very difficult for somebody to come in and take um, a majority stance. But I, I think you, you've got to look, and I, I think supporters have got to ask themselves, what do they want from a football club? Um, and there's no, there's no big political stance on this whatsoever. Because um, I know, I know some people have this ideal of how a club should be run, and, and we've not, we've not got down that route at all. What we would say is this club has certainly, in the past 20, 25 years, has benefited greatly from not having an overall owner. I was looking down at the number of clubs earlier on who've been in administration in football. And, and you're going back, and there's a common denominator every single time. You're looking at Wigan, you're looking at Bury, you're looking at Bolton, you're looking at Portsmouth, you're looking at Portsmouth again before that. Um, every club where it's gone into, even even Coventry, where it was it was owned by a by a group, you're still you're still talking a majority owner. Now we're going down the route for me where it just bec it just becomes a massive a massive risk for the future of the football club. What we've had. Is working relatively all right. The club tomorrow night at the AGM will present a set of accounts where we've got one of the biggest profits in the history of the football club. So for me, well, it is why would we stray from there? And the, and the, other, the other element with this as well is investment only gets you so far. We could meet a fellow on the street tomorrow who could be the wealthiest man on the planet, whether it's um, I don't know Bill Gates or someone like there. And, and if they were to say, look, you know what, I'm going to put five million into this football club every single year without fail. Well, five million extra a year doesn't get you an awful lot. Um, in terms of our income, I'd guess we'd still be behind the likes of Sunderland and Portsmouth and Ipswich. Um, and possibly as I can, I am, I am suggesting on this one here, but Rotherham, Rotherham with their stadium, they're probably generating a good five million extra dollars on an annual basis. So we're not, guaranteed to be hitting the next level 
in doing that. And all these clubs, like the example I keep mentioning, um, there was a fellow up at Gretna FC, uh, Miles something, I think he was called. And oh, he absolutely loved Gretna. He took them from non-league up in Scotland, took them up to the Scottish Premier League. I think they won the Scottish FA Cup at one stage. And it was going wonderful. But then he got ill and he, his, his kids weren't interested anymore. And, and Gretna have now gone. We all remember, certainly, certainly those of a certain vintage like I am, um, the tips of Rushton and Diamonds. Rushton and Diamonds, they had the Doc Martin fellow on them. Um, and when I say Doc Martin, I don't need don't mean me before we any look like to get a mention. Um, but they absolutely wonderful setup, and it looked like everything was being done perfectly there. They had all the facilities, the fans were coming in, they had all the training facilities down there. But you're relying on one person. And if you're relying on one person, it can go wrong for whatever reason, whether it's illness, whether it's business decisions or anything like that. You just you're just becoming and it's a horrible phrase, but you're just becoming somebody's toy and you are reliant on them maintaining that funding year after year after year. Now, given that there is no guarantee of success from doing that, and even if, even if it went wonderfully, wonderfully well, if we were under this, where we were getting significant funds put in an annual basis, we might reach a stage of the bottom six in the championship, which would be be great in that first year uh, where we're playing all these new teams that we've not played before but long term it's is that really success is that really what we want from a football club and as I said when things when things start going wrong with the ownership model that's when there's no, there's no one there to try and stand up and sort it out now one of the, the ownership model that we've got where we don't have an overall majority owner at this moment in time and we've got the shareholding spread. So finally, throughout the fan base, that's allowed us to call the EGM. If we had somebody come in and purchase the, the club lock, stock and barrel, we wouldn't be able to do that. We wouldn't be able to go into a vote at an AGM or an EGM and get anything through. Because otherwise, there'll just be some, someone at the top table will say, I've got 80% of the shares. You, you, can, you can squabble as much as you like, but it's my decision that is going to come through. Um, and then you take it, you take it further, and you well, how are these things going to be funded? If we're in a situation where someone's putting their own money up, lock, stock, and barrel, right? Well, there's an argument to be had there. If we are going down the route where the ground is being used to finance a loan for the purchase, well, I'm not being funny. That me or you could do that, Dean. Yeah. Um, that's not somebody coming in putting money in. That's somebody spending our money to purchase the club. Now, I know there are, there are some models out where it, that it's all above board and it's very successful. And I, I have nothing to suggest that anyone who might be interested in our club is doing anything which is, which is out of order in terms of that. But it's not a million miles away from what the Glazers are doing at United. Um, and the difference being at, at Old Trafford is you're talking guaranteed profit at Old Trafford year in, year out. Um, it's the difference for them being able to spend 80 million every summer as opposed to spending 180 million every summer. Um, we haven't got the money. So if the money we are getting in has to go up and, and paying off something else, then it's a slippery slope for us. It really is a slippery slope. So it, it could work out to be successful, but there's, there's enough horror stories haunting football. As, as a phrase we have used many, many times is, the ghost of Stuart Day haunts lower league football. 
uh, whether we like it or not. And there's an obligation for people to be going above and beyond now to demonstrate that they are not Stuart Day. And that's for them, that's horrible, that, that they've got a, it's almost like guilty until proven innocent. But we're talking the future of the football club. Um, we've been here for 114 years and we want to be there for another, another 114 years, not put at risk um, by somebody who is, is doing a business decision. I think you know. I think you know how I feel about this. But just playing devil's advocate, would it maybe be in some in the eyes of some supporters? Would it perhaps not be more that you know in this post-COVID world, if we have a couple of bad seasons, there's no cup runs, there's no player sales, that then the financial situation of the club in its current um, guise would no longer become it would no longer be viable without someone kind of being able to pump money in, and it wouldn't be a case of you know striving for success but it will more be a case of how do we survive um, yeah, and that's, seasons there's definitely an argument we have for that um, Dale fans of a certain vintage twice I've used that I am getting old um, <laughs> the Kilpatrick Morris model is the one that proved successful and there were times where Killian Morris would put the hand in the pocket and, and they'll pay a bill that, that came in so we're, we're not talking some idealistic model that the club must done like an English version of St. Pauli or something like that. Um, we're not suggesting that at all, but we are, we are suggesting that the club needs to be run. So it needs to be owned by supporters. It needs to be owned by shareholders. Now, that's not to say you can't work with outside investors. Not at all. I'm not suggesting that for one moment. Um, but who is going to run this club in the best interest of the football club? Are you talking people who have spent 30, 40, 50 years following this football club up and down the country? Or are you talking people who've made the decision to be interested in Rochdale? And, and for me, that, that's the question which needs asking. So we're speaking here about a potential investor and obviously the club contacted shareholders a few days ago to inform um, shareholders of some negotiations that are ongoing. Um, in terms of the resolutions that they're trying to push through, how would they? How would those resolutions affect those negotiations? Basically, if they weren't able to pass them through, would it basically mean the end of that? Do you think? Um, I don't know. It would. One of the issues I've got with the share issue from the club is the shareholders are being asked on Tuesday night to approve the sale of the club blindly. Now, if we had, I know Bill Gates comes knocking on the club saying I want to buy Rockstar. Well, that's fine. That. Put it to the shareholders. I've no problem at all with them doing that. They can come to our, they can come to the AGM. They can do a big presentation and tell us how we're going to take this club forward. And if it, and if, and if it looks great, brilliant, let's go for it. For me, it doesn't stop anything because the big issue I have got with the resolutions is that, as I said, we are we are voting blindly. We are giving the the board of directors, who might be down to two or three after after the AGM. We are putting it on them to approve the sale of the club. Now, now for me, is if there's someone interested, put it to the shareholders. Don't, don't get them to approve a deal blindly. If, if a deal adds up, the shareholders will back it. I don't doubt that for one moment. But don't ask shareholders to, to approve something which we don't know what it's going to be. And as we proved, third time looking, you could create an EGM, you could call an EGM, at three weeks' notice. 
and then say, right, well, we've got our new EGM, our new resolution is we are approving that we want we want shareholder backing to approve the sale and issue all these new shares to Dean Smith, all right, at six pounds a share, and then shareholders are voting on that. So it, it doesn't if it's if it's voted down tomorrow, right? It doesn't kick it down the road, right? It's just it needs rephrasing. Um, and the one one thing I would I would question is is there faith in the board at this moment in time from the shareholders to make the right decision? So Dan and Emery's more recent statement that came the other day on LinkedIn um, said that they didn't feel it was appropriate for the board to wield the power of giving themselves a free hand to sell a controlling interest in the club to whoever they pleased. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying there? Absolutely. They've got it, Dan and Emery have got it absolutely spot on with that statement. We are... The board of directors who have a minority shareholding, um, even collectively, you're not talking, our current board of directors have possibly got more than about 30% of the shareholding. We're asking them to approve the sale of the club without knowing who that sale of the club is to. And, and that can't possibly be right. If it's, if it's in the best interest of the club, put it to the members, put a name on it. And as a DGM, you can call them at three weeks notice. What did you make of uh, the claims that they made in the same statement regarding, you know, their own requests for resolutions to be added, uh, being ignored? You're talking with Dan and Emery, the third biggest shareholders at the football club. Um, I have no idea what their resolutions they were putting forward. Um, so it, it would be difficult for me to comment on that one there. Um, but if you're talking your third biggest shareholder, third and fourth that they are, surely they should be entitled to doing that. And whether legally the club are in a position where they can say, you know what, we're, we're ignoring that. I don't know if that's the case where the club can do that. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a legal eagle. I don't know, have you spoke to Dan and Emery before and, and any of the other potential investors that the club have mentioned recently? It sounds like there's been you know, more than just the negotiations are involved in at the moment. How many of those kind of investors have, have reached out to the trust and spoken to the trust before? Um, I can't comment on that one, Dean. No problem. What uh, I can say, what I can say is we've possibly traded nine or ten emails with Dan and Emery since we first learned of their interest in the club eight, well, a year and a bit ago. It might be um, there might be a few more than that, but it's not a constant dialogue or anything like that. One thing which which we must make clear is we are not siding with the Americans. We're not saying no to the Americans, but one or two people have spoke to them. They've said, "Well, you're going off what the Americans are saying, so therefore you're in league with them." That that's your intent. It's like far from it. Allegations have been made, and it's only right that they are they are discussed at a public platform like like an EGM. Um, and that's and that's all we're doing with this one here. Um, go, just going back to the investment, another question I've kind of noted down for you here. Um, I think you've kind of answered it already, but um, in terms of the club kind of actively seeking this investment and it has been doing for a while, does it not mm -hmm. maybe give off a vibe, a little bit of a vibe of desperation in a way that kind of may attract the wrong kind of investors to the club? You said before about the ghost of Stuart Day kind of hanging over lower league clubs and it seems to me that uh, clubs that are kind of 
actively seeking that investment leave themselves more open than others uh, to those kind of characters? Well, the club, the club have informed us because, again, fair play to the club. They've been very honest about the, the desire to attract an investor to Rockstone Football Club um, over the past three years. And, and it's their belief that it's absolutely essential. Um, and they've, they've made it very clear to us that they won't entertain anybody who would put the, the future of the football club at risk. Um, they are Dale supporters. Um, now, that doesn't mean they're right on everything, doesn't mean they're wrong on everything. But they are Dale supporters, um, and you can you can only assume that, that if there's something they believe is in the best interest of the football club, then, then they will go down that route. Just looking ahead to to the to the EGMs and AGMs, um, has it ever been done where two of each have been hosted on the same night? What do you make of that? Is it going to be a long night for you and, and all the other shareholders? Um, I hope not, because uh, our AGMs is is the last one on the evening, um, so we might find ourselves in. Um, about two in the morning, still discussing things. Um, but it, but it shouldn't be. I don't, I don't, I don't think it will be the case of that one there. Um, I think the main questions will be asked. Um, we'll get the answers, um, and then we'll decide. The shareholders will decide from there whether they're satisfied with them answers or not. And for those of us who obviously won't, like myself, who won't be able to tune in as non-shareholders, what will be the best way to kind of follow what's happening? Will the trust be? updating people throughout the night or will it be a case of finding out the morning after it will, it will be the morning after we're not we're not looking at doing a sort of twitter update or giving question by question um i'm, I'm sure there will be other shareholders who are watching via zoom who will who will be doing that um i dare say there might be a thread on message board uh, going through what the questions are and what the answers are but it's certainly not our intention at all to be doing anything like that as i said we have we have tried to to maintain this level of neutrality all the way through, and we will see the evening through. Um, and we'll be, in fairness, we'll be concentrating on the on the issues on the night. Uh, we don't want to be sort of thinking, all right, yeah, well, I've missed that question because I've been sending a tweet out giving an update on this. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure other people will be doing that. Um, uh, how much preparation goes into something like this from someone like me who doesn't have a clue? But you, uh, the reason we kind of done this a bit later than we were planning to was because you were prepping for tomorrow. Is it a case of like? you know, things kind of cropping up on the night that you maybe weren't expecting sometimes and things like that? Well, possibly. You've got, you've got to prepare for, for every eventuality. Um, but there has been an absolute mountain of work done in preparation for this by a, a small army. Um, and there's no egos involved. There's no one trying to, nothing personal or anything like that. It's, it's a small army of people who've been working, in some cases, working day in, day out. Um, over the past few weeks, making making sure that they are supporting what's 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 going to be going ahead. We're getting emails at half past two in the morning, and even worse, I nearly replied to um, today. It's not good when you start doing emails at half two. But honestly, there's been there's been so much hard work because we were a fan base where there's an awful lot of people care for this football club, um, and we've seen what can happen when fans take their eyes off the ball at other clubs. And, and we, we cannot we cannot allow that to happen here. How difficult has it been over the last, say, 18 months trying to balance that that relationship with the club uh, and speaking to the club on a regular basis with, you know, the pressure that some members have been maybe putting on the trust uh, and, and the desires of the members, especially without that, that face-to-face contact that you'd usually get from both sides? It's, it's been difficult. And we've, listen, I'll be, oh my hands up, we've not got it right all the time. 
there'll be people listening to you've not got it right most at bloody time um but it's, it's when we've gone down there we've asked questions and it, it's difficult as well because there are things that we can't report back um we, we would love to have an absolute transparency on every little thing that goes on. But there are times where, like when we've talked about investment, the club have, have took us into their confidence and shared things with us, um, where we're not in a position where we can go back and make that public. And if we did, then we won't be involved in those conversations at any time again in the future. Um, well, you, you've, got to, you've got to take people at face value. And if we're asking questions and people aren't happy with our answers, um, and I do not have, I've, listen, I've come out and said this in the past. I don't think my way of reporting answers has been good enough in the past. I think I've tend to do too much of a summary paragraph in answer to questions rather than direct quotes. And that's something that we've, we've had a, a subgroup amongst the trust are working on to see how we can improve that. Because that's definitely something we need to get better at. Um, communication is vital with everything. So it's, it's in our interest to be doing that with our members. Uh, the the numbers for the for the trust membership last year, I'm right in thinking that it was a record amount of members last year, is that right? Yeah, we had about um, 740, which was the record by about 140 last year, which is which is amazing. When you consider that so many of our members come from people signing up in the Dale Bar, they go, oh, we put the leaflets round on the tables and go, buddy, I'll, I'll sign up so they stop passing me. Um, so we, we possibly get a good... 100 members simply from them and we've not had that opportunity to have so many members sign up last year is is, is incredible and just thanks to everybody who did sign up for their support during that time um, and that's that's following through into this year as well because we have a reboot of the membership um, at the start of the close season so we go back to, to zero and at this moment in time I think we're up to about 550 members which we're not far from being the third biggest membership we've ever had already. And wow, we were two months, three months away from kicking a football. So again, just thank you to everybody who signed up for the trust. Um, it's only a fiver if you want to join up. It's on our website, little plug. Those numbers are, are really are impressive. But for anyone who, who hasn't joined, can you maybe give um, some reasons as to why you think they should? Um... Just the more people, the more... I hate, I hate using the word power because it makes us sound like we're some sort of rebel group and we're not a rebel group. We have got a very... Um, I, I say we've we fairly got a conservative membership. And at all stages, we need to reflect how that membership is. Um, we're certainly not a group of rabble-rousers or anything like that. I dare say there will be some members who, who would prefer it if we have been doing that. Um, but we, we, have, we have to reflect our members. Um, but it's just, it is, the, more, the more people sign up, the easier it is for turnarounds, us to say to the club, we're representing here. Um, hopefully we can get to 800 members. That'd be fantastic. Because all the conversations we've ever had with, back in the days of Supporters Direct and the FSA more recently, they give a bit of a guidance that if your membership is 10% of your average home attendance, then you're doing all right. Now, we're not getting crowds of seven and a half thousand. Um, so we have, we have had an awful lot of people have put their faith in us. And as well, what we've had over, over the summer so far, we've had a lot of new members have joined up this year. Um, and again, our aim will be to make sure that those people sign up again in 12 months' time. 
if those if all them new people who sign up to us this year and then at the end of the season think, oh, waste of time, that um, I'd rather spend me five on, you know, down the pub or something like that. Then, then we then we've let them down. Um, and like I said, we're, we're never in a position where we we satisfy everybody because when we did like, like the ballot that we've got, we are not getting a hundred percent of people voting for one particular way. So there are going to be some trust members who will look at this and think, well, I didn't I didn't vote in favour of this. They're not speaking for me. Um, but we are a members' organisation. And we will always, always vote the way that our membership is dictating us to do so. Because if not, well, then what's the point? Um, I, I don't expect you to, to kind of answer for every possible um, outcome tomorrow. But just generally, what do you think the long-term effects could be following tomorrow um, for both the club and the trust? I'd like to think that this could be something of a restart from this football club. Um, it, it's very clear that large, large numbers of the fan base do not have faith in the running of the football club at this moment in time, which is unusual given the history I've known since over the past 30 years. Um, I think the last time there's been feelings like this was back in the days of Tommy Cannon. Um, so... You can see from the membership that, that things need to change. Um, we need to be a club, in my opinion. And again, we, I think we need to be asking supporters what sort of club they're wanting. But we've, we've got to be a club which values every single supporter that comes to us and goes out of their way to prove that on a daily basis. Because these days, there's, there's too many other things for people to do. The old days of post-war where people were there and we were getting crowds of eight, 9,000. Because there was nothing else for people to do. Um, but we're at the stage now where there's loads of choices and it's not cheap we, we live in a we live in a deprived area so you're asking and it's, and it's great to see that we've seen ticket prices have been reduced so again fair play to the board in doing that and hopefully that'll that'll make a difference which will allow some people to renew for next season um, but we've got we've got to value every single supporter we need to make every single supporter feel that that is their football club because then it is, it's our football club. Um, we don't want a situation where we have a demonal situation at any stage at all. It needs, it needs to be where people are proud to say they're a Rochdale fan. And when they say, well, why? And it's not down to, oh, we've had Chris O'Grady scored 25 goals for this season. That they turn around and say, you know what? This club looks after me. This club values my support. So when it, if we do get any difficult decisions for people in the summer when the season tickets leaflet comes through the door, they'll turn around and say, well, you know what? They've stuck by me, so I'll stick by them. I think that's completely fair enough. And I think there's a lot of supporters that would agree with every word of that, um, myself included. Uh, Colin, I'm going to call it a day there because uh, I know you've got some more preparation to do ahead of tomorrow. So I'll let you get some rest before that. But um, a big, big thanks for coming on and chatting to me tonight. No, cheers, Dean. And thanks for not asking me any of these um, lineup questions that you have at the end of the podcast. Because I do absolutely dreadful at them. <laughs> well, we'll get you on at some point in the future and you can uh, face off against Chaffin. I'm sure you'll beat Luke because Luke never wins. So at least no. you can do that. All right. Yeah, make, make sure Luke's involved next time. <laughs> All right. Cheers again, Cole. Uh, we'll no, cheers. Thanks for having us. Nice one. Up the Dale. Up the Dale, too.